There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Place yourself in the shoes of Canada's 1917 Prime Minister, Robert Borden. You are watching as the casualty lists from the Western Front pile up, and tension is mounting at home as people within your country accuse other groups of people in your country of not pulling their weight in terms of supporting the war effort, specifically in terms of military recruitment. You adamantly believe that with every battlefield success comes a greater chance that your country can get itself a seat at the post-war table and almost equal status to the great powers of Europe international recognition beyond what your young country could ever have hoped for. You adamantly believe that the Canadian Corps, the nation's military formation on the Western Front, must continue its high tempo of operations to achieve this post-war recognition. But volunteer numbers are declining. What are you willing to do to ensure that your army can get enough bodies for the meat grinder that is the Western Front. Are you willing to force people to go and fight? Are you willing to force young French Canadians to go and fight when French Canada has made it clear they are adamantly opposed to conscription? Are you willing to risk rupturing the fragile peace between Canada's two solitudes, two founding peoples? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Well, this is Season 5, Episode 7, Tricky Bob and the 1917 Federal Election. Our book recommendation this week is Embattled Nation, Canada's Wartime Election of 1917 by Patrice Dutille and David McKenzie, published in 2017 by Dundurn Press. This is a well-presented account of the dramatic months leading up to and after the 1917 federal election. A must-read for anyone looking to dive deep into the social fragmentation during Canada's conscription crisis. 
Our story begins in early 1917. Canada has been at war with the Central Powers for nearly three years. Out of just over 7 million inhabitants, it has 500,000 men in uniform and 4,000 women nurses serving overseas. At the same time, the Canadian Corps, the Canadian formation on the Western Front, is developing a reputation for victory. Back in 1916, the Corps had participated in the Somme Offensive, with some of the largest gains by any British Commonwealth formation during the infamous offensive. The Corps' success by the end of 1916, coupled with its strength and size, slightly larger and more powerful than its British counterparts, led to the Corps being selected to assault and capture one of the most well-defended German positions along the Western Front, Vimy Ridge. As many of our listeners probably know, by April 12, 1917, this nearly impregnable position was in Canadian hands at a cost, however, of 10,000 casualties, with the first day of the attack, 9th of April, being the bloodiest single day for the Canadians in the entire war. Yet, despite these casualties, the Canadian Corps, after April 1917, had cemented itself as a force to be reckoned with on the Western Front. Even the Germans were now paying attention to wherever the Corps was placed, in the British line. Back in Canada, Prime Minister Robert Borden believed that the more victories earned by the Canadian Corps meant the greater Canada's reputation would be amongst the belligerents, thus leading to greater international recognition after the war. Effectively, Borden believed Canada would emerge from the First World War a nation respected within the eyes of the world's great powers. And this respect came from the blood and sacrifice of Canadian soldiers. Understanding Borden's desire for a greater post-war role for Canada in the international order allows us to better understand the events of the 1917 federal election. You see, Borden had already visited the front once before in late 1915. He saw the hospitals, the wounded, the cemeteries getting more full by the day. He spoke with the men, met their officers. When he returned from this trip, he was already convinced that the government of Canada owed it to these men to do whatever they could to help support them and win the war. Borden was faced with a dilemma, though. Up to 1917, it seemed like Canada had a never-ending supply of volunteers to go overseas. And for the first two years of the war, this was almost the case. Yet, by 1917, the size of the Canadian Corps, just over 80,000 strong, and its increasing use in British offensives meant that casualties were increasing rapidly. At the same time, the so-called never-ending supply of recruits back home was noticeably declining. By the time that the Canadian Corps captured Vimy Ridge, monthly volunteers were now being outnumbered by monthly casualties. Simply put, the Canadian Corps could not sustain itself at this pace, relying only on volunteerism. For Borden's post-war vision to be realized, 
he needed to ensure the Canadian Corps could continue to win. To do that, more men were needed, and volunteerism was no longer working. Thus, within Borden's war cabinet, serious discussions on conscription began. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But conscription was an extremely controversial issue. Generally speaking, English Canadians broadly supported the measure, while it was fiercely opposed by French Canadians, especially those within Quebec. Support for the war in general was the lowest in Quebec. You see, many French Canadians felt that this was simply another European imperial war, And while Canada was involved, Canadians should not be forced to go and fight for another of a long list of European conflicts. Henri Bourassa, a prominent Quebec journalist and French-Canadian patriot, wrote, I find that Canada, a nation of America, has another mission to accomplish than to bind herself to the fate of European nations and of despoiling empires. You see, Barassa's comment echoed the sentiment of many within Quebec that Canada should stay out of the affairs of Europe's nations and Europe's empires. Yet, within much of English-speaking Canada, loyalty to the British Empire was still quite strong, and many accused the French-Canadian population of shirking their duty to king and country. Volatile debates and shouting matches were commonplace in Canadian Parliament and on Canadian streets, Barassa himself being chased out of a few speaking engagements by pro-war Canadians. A report read in Parliament in April 1917, shortly after Vimy Ridge, stated that French Canada made up 28% of the population but had contributed only 5% of the volunteers. Despite verbal attacks on their constituents, Quebec politicians reiterated their position against conscription. Thus, the debate on conscription was split along ethnic lines. English Canada generally in favor, French Canada generally against. For Borden, who was strongly in favor of conscription, he was concerned that were he to pass it, his Conservative Party would lose so much support in Quebec that they would not be able to win the next election. As well, he secretly feared the potential for violent unrest were his government to impose the controversial measure. Yet, by May 1917, Borden could see no other choice if he wanted to maintain the momentum of the Canadian Corps and he announced that his government would indeed pursue conscription. At the same time, Borden was aware that an election was looming. He knew that his opponent, former Prime Minister, 
Quebec-born Wilfrid Laurier would make this entire election about conscription. Thus, Borden sought an alliance with Laurier. He offered to create a union government, splitting the cabinet seats between the two parties and carrying Canada through to the conclusion of the war. Laurier refused. Laurier believed that Borden would lose the election because of the conscription issue and thus forced him to call one. The battle lines were drawn. Borden's party would be the party of conscription. Laurier's liberals would be the party against it. And it is at this point where Robert Borden will earn the nickname of Tricky Bob. Folks, I just want to take a second to let you know that we rely heavily on your donations. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time. So like five bucks or 10 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks or a million bucks. Well, Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So if you want to donate, let's say two bucks for every episode we publish, well, Patreon allows you to set that up. You can go to www.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Cool Canadian History. We survive heavily on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, on our Facebook page, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy, and thank you to everyone that's donated. We could not keep doing this without you. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. So Wilfrid Laurier believed that the conscription issue would prove to be Borden and the Conservative Party's downfall. Yet, it would be the Liberal Party that would be shattered because of this contentious issue. And Robert Borden played a direct role in ensuring the destruction of of his opposition. Borden began by seeking out second-rank liberals. These are liberals whom he knew to be in support of the war and perhaps even secretly in support of conscription. Effectively, second-rank liberals referred to the MPs without leading roles in the party or even significant ones at all, often sitting at the far back of Parliament, literally beyond the second row of seats. Borden sought to lure these MPs across the floor to join what he was now calling his new union government. He appealed both to their patriotism, as loyal members of the British Empire and of Canada's war effort, and to their belief that conscription was necessary to win the war. He presented his new union government as neither conservative nor liberal, simply a government seeking to support the Canadian war effort at all costs. Surprisingly, many second-rank liberals were open to the possibility of crossing the floor to join Borden, but all of them were hesitant. What if they crossed the floor and this union party lost? Their careers would effectively be over. Borden was prepared for this hesitation. In no uncertain terms, he made it clear to them that there were a few aces up his old sleeve by which he could guarantee the Union victory. 
The first one was the Military Voters Act. This gave every person in the Canadian Expeditionary Force the right to vote, whether you were a man or a woman, whether you had property or not, whether you were of age or not. All CEF members could now vote, even non-white members of the CEF who held status as British citizens could vote, so people from India, for instance. Borden figured that a strong majority of CEF personnel would be in favor of a government seeking to do whatever it could to support the troops overseas, especially in regards to the declining enlistment numbers. As well, and here is where Borden gets tricky, the act also simplified voting for the men and women overseas. Effectively, you just voted in favor of the government, so Borden's union coalition, or the opposition, Laurier's liberals, or what was left of them. If the person voting did not specify a constituency, the governing party had the right to assign that vote to whatever constituency they wanted. Let me repeat this. The government could basically take people's votes and apply them to any constituency in Canada. So, let's say there was a tight race between a union candidate and a liberal candidate. Borden could effectively assign a number of pro-government votes to that constituency, ensuring the union candidate came out victorious. This is an incredibly crooked method of voter distribution. Yet, the Military Voters Act gave Borden the legal right to do it. Now, you have a huge number of men and women who are suddenly eligible to vote, most likely voting for the union government, with most of their votes being allocated to whatever constituency Borden wanted. But he wasn't done there. Borden also passed the very famous Wartime Elections Act. This act gave the franchise to mothers, wives, and sisters of soldiers in the Canadian Expeditionary Force, those that were alive or those that had died in service, as long as the women were over 21 years of age. Effectively, hundreds of thousands of women were now federally enfranchised for the first time in Canadian history. It is probably no surprise that Borden figured a huge majority of these women would support a government that was positioning itself as the government willing to do whatever it took to support the troops overseas while trying to bring as swift as possible a conclusion to the conflict. Basically, through two pieces of legislation, Borden had almost entirely guaranteed a victory. He had effectively enfranchised a huge chunk of the Canadian population that would almost certainly vote in favor of his union government. When the second-rank liberals were informed of these two pieces of legislation, they crossed the floor. Almost every single liberal approached by Borden joined his new union party. Laurier could only watch as his liberal party fell apart. In December of 1917, Borden's Union Party won the federal election. Almost every riding outside of Quebec had seen a Union candidate win. Only in Quebec, where the strongest anti-conscription sentiment was held, did the Liberals hold on to any seats. In fact, Laurier's Liberals nearly swept Quebec. 
When Borden entered Parliament for the first time as Prime Minister of the new Union Party, he announced that his government would be implementing conscription for overseas service. Quebec was now politically isolated, and Borden had a political mandate from the rest of Canada to pursue the draft. While the rest of Canada celebrated, Quebec plunged into riots and chaos, eventually leading to the tragic Easter riots of 1918, where four Quebec rioters were shot and killed by Canadian soldiers. Conscription would allow the Canadian Corps to continue its high tempo of operations, and conscripts would be pivotal in ensuring that the Corps was the tip of the spear for the final British offensive of the war, the Hundred Days Campaign. However, that tempo came at a cost of lives and bodies on the front line, as well as lives and bodies back home, and left a province feeling betrayed by the federal government and abandoned by the rest of the country. A province that would not forget anytime soon. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in, and stay cool. Stay cool.